0: at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson.
1: God is a God that does indeed make vindication. And this is an important word because it's related to judgment, to justice. It's related to what I have said several times thus far, and that is God putting things in His order vindication it is an outcome of god's judgment well take out your bible and look with me to the book of esther and chapter 9 the book of esther and chapter 9 now we left off last week in this study of the book of esther with the jewish people having retribution against their enemies standing up in the opposition to those who would destroy them. And we saw that, that Esther and Mordecai, that they are the leaders. They are petitioning King Achashverosh for another day, another day that they might stand in opposition to those who wanted to destroy them, that all their enemies would be brought to justice and defeat and the Jewish people Through this covenant that they have with the Lord God Almighty, that they would be delivered and that they would have the opportunity to continue in serving Him, being used according to His purposes, this plan of God that, that rests upon the Jewish people, that it would continue. And I cannot overstate the importance of how back in the days of Esther and what will be in the future, How the world will move as it's done even less than a hundred years ago during the Holocaust. How the world has and will again in the end days move to destroy the Jewish people. But there will be an edict that goes forth from heaven, and Messiah will hear that word from his father, and he ultimately will return and deliver his people and bring about this, this vindication through his judgment, through the wrath of God, whereby ultimately the outcome of that is going to be the kingdom of God, its establishment. So let's begin the book of Esther chapter 9. We're going to pick up where we left off last week in verse 15. We read here, and after that that Esther secured this opportunity to one more day defend themselves, we see in verse 15 and the jews they were assembled who were in shushan also on the 14th day of the month and it's the month of adar and they killed in shushan 300 men now this is in addition to what we learned last week that on the previous day when the jewish people stood up to deliver themselves from their enemies, they brought about the death in Shushan of 500 of their enemies. Now today, with this extra day to defend themselves and bring about the full measure of God's judgment, we see the total of five and an additional 300 or 800. Now again, numbers are not casually written down in the Scripture. They come, they're part of God's revelation, God's desire to teach us something. And the number eight, whether it's eight, eighty, eight hundred, eight thousand, that number eight has significance. And it's a number of new beginnings, it's a number of the kingdom, it's a number of the establishment of the kingdom of God through his redemptive work. So we see this is not by chance that it says that 800 men were put to death. But keep reading, we're going to see something in addition to this. So once more, middle of verse 15, it says, And they killed in Shushan 300 men, and against the plunder, that is the wealth, it's literally the word for plunder or spoil, against the the plunder, they did not stretch forth their hand meaning this that none of the jewish people wanted to profit materially financially from this victory this is not what it was about now the enemy haman one of the incentives that he gave those who would follow his edict is that if you killed the jewish people you could also take their possessions that you could plunder that you could take spoil from them but it's emphasized over and over that the Jewish people did not do this for that purpose now when we have that emphasized as we do most scholars see this as a a reminder of something when the children of Israel took the land of Canaan Canaan we see something that they were called to Dedicate everything unto the Lord, meaning to destroy it, to offer it up, to take no spoils, no plunder. This is the Hebrew word charem, and it shows that this was not about a material desire but a spiritual desire. And that same point is being demonstrated here, verse 16. And the rest of the Jewish people that were in the provinces of the king. They, and it's the same thing, they also gathered in order that they could stand, and it simply says that they stood, it's in the singular as people, they stood concerning their life. And four, now many will use a term, and it's significant, the term rest. Now rest is a word that's connected to shabbat the sabbath day it is wrong for us to link worship as a unique way to the sabbath day many people do it and see it as the day of worship biblically we don't see that what we see emphasize is that there's a connection between shabbat and rest and the sabbath that concept shabbat should cause us to think about a kingdom experience the shabbat is a foretaste each week of the kingdom now this word for rest it can also be thought of as relief and this is probably how if we wanted to to accurately translate it in the meaning of it it's relief but the word for rest is important because it ties it to the shabbat and to a kingdom reality so we read here the rest of the Jews that were in the providences of the king they assembled and stood for their life and for relief from their enemies and and killed among their enemies 75,000 now this is important because The number 75,000 is a very significant number. Now, where do we see not 75,000, but 75, same principle, whether we're talking about 75, 750, 7,500, or 75,000? What stands out is that number 75. And 75 appears, for example, in the, the scripture, in the book of Genesis. Now, if you read the Masoretic Text, and probably your Bible is translated from the Masoretic Text, where it will say in the book of Genesis, 70. But if you look at the Dead Sea Scrolls, and if you look at the Septuagint, and you look at what's said in the book of Acts in Stephen's speech, we find that that it's not 70, but it's 75 And 75 has great significance. We also know that in the genealogy of Messiah, and I'm speaking about the genealogy in Luke's Gospel, if you count from from Yeshua back to God the Father and you count all the generations between Yeshua and the name God, you will find that there are 75 names. And this is important because the genealogy of Messiah reveals the purpose of Messiah, the heritage of Messiah, and that is to be the Redeemer, to bring redemption. And another place in number 75 is, is reference. If you look in the book of Daniel, chapter 12, you'll find that it speaks about the normal 1,260. But at the end of the book in chapter 12, there's an addition to 1335, which is an additional 30, excuse me, an additional 75 days. So rabbinically, the sages teach that 75 is an important number. It kind, kind it relates to redemption. So what we find here is that there's going to be a new beginning through redemption. And that new beginning, ate a kingdom experience. This all shows us. That in the last days, that there's going to be a defeat of the enemies of Israel. That defeat is going to bring about the redemption of Israel, meaning the recognition of who the Redeemer is and this vindication, this, this kingdom is going to be established. So it's very important that it says here that, that was killed among their enemies, 75,000. And once more, not only in Shushan, but in these other places, the other providences. It says, against the spoil, the possessions, the wealth, they did not stretch forth their hand. Verse 17. On the 13th day of the month of Adar, there was, and it's the same word for rest or relief. And on the 14th day of it, what did they do? They made upon it a day of, of a banquet and gladness. So they had a celebration. So the general principle is throughout all the providences is that they fought and had victory on the 13th day. But on the 14th day of this month of Adar, this is when they thanked God, they celebrated, they had a banquet. And we'll see more about that in a moment. But look once more now we're ready for verse 18 and the jews that were in shusha they assembled on the 13th day of the month and on the 14th day of the month now we just saw that that on the 13th 500 were killed on the 14th an additional 300 800 in total they did this two days but all the other places of the king's empire it was just the battle was the 13th and they had the celebration, the Thanksgiving, the 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 banquet on the 14th. But in Shushan, there was a difference. Look again at verse 18. The Jews, which were in Shushan, they assembled on the 13th day of it, meaning of the month and on the 14th day of it, of the month, and they had relief. On the 15th day of it of the month, and was done on it, meaning on this 15th day, that's when they did their banquet and their gladness. So there was a difference between how Shushan behaved and the other cities without throughout the empire. Now, this is going to be recorded in a document. Look now to verse 19. Therefore, the Jews that were scattered out. Now, it means scattered out, but in dwelling places, in cities that were open. Meaning, in cities that have no walls around them. There was a law for them. And that is cities that had no wall. What did they do? It says that they would make on the 14th day of the month of Adar. They would make this gladness and a banquet and a festival day, a holiday, and they would send gifts, every man, to his neighbor, meaning that part of this this celebration was to give gifts. Now, when did they do it? If they lived in a community that had no walls around the city. They, they observed this festival, this celebration. On the 14th day now we remember that that esther fasted and in order to remember that fast that she did that was foundational in god moving god bringing about this change this word remember this term la folk to turn over to make something that was bad good we see that fasting was significant so to remember the conflict that battle what's done on the 13th day fasting what's done on the 14th day a celebration a party unto the lord a righteous type of of worship celebrating praising god with eating and also sending gifts to one another now look at verse 20. and mordecai he wrote these things and he sent them in documents, in letters, literally in booklets to all the Jews that were in all the providences of King Ahasuerus, both close and far away. So he, under his leadership, he wrote these things down about the practice to all the Jewish community throughout the empire. And this is, is synonymous, the thought is, throughout the world. So this edict has relevance for all the Jewish people but it goes beyond that in a moment look now to verse 21 what do we see here this this these booklets that he wrote it says that that should be kept by them established for them that they should make the 14th day of the month of Adar and the 15th day of of it, that same month, each and every year. Now, why the 15th day? Well, we're going to see. If you live in a city that does not have walls around it, and this would have been walls historically, biblically, we see that that walls are important around cities for safety. And therefore, the tradition is if you lived in a city that had walls around it, going back to the time of Joshua. Then you would have the observance, on not on the the fourteenth, but the fifteenth days, when you would make this celebration. It's called Shushan Purim. But if you live in a city that does not have walls around it, you do it on the fourteenth day. So these two days that are celebrated. The difference, if you were in Shushan, it was the 15th. If you're in a walled city, it's the 15th. If you're in a city that has no walls, as most don't, it's on the 14th day of this month of Adar. Verse 22. And and as the days, because they were given relief, the Jewish people on them, from their enemies so was this relief this rest that they received on these days the 14th for most places the 15th for shushan because they received rest deliverance relief among the jewish people from their enemies and and what happens look at this middle of verse 22 now this is where it gets very significant Because God is reminding us of what we've seen. We have seen how God has brought about that change. Remember that word, lahafok. It's going to appear here in the text. Look at the middle of verse 22 where it says, And the month which was, was overturned for them from, and this is a word of, of suffering of of exhaustion of of pain unto gladness and from evil that is mourning unto a festival day a good day a yom tov a holiday so the end of verse 22 speaks about how God is going to make this change and that they are called keep reading to make them these days of of banqueting and gladness, a day of sending gifts every man to his neighbor, and also look at the very end of verse twenty two, and also gifts to name What are Evionim? They are the poor, the destitute. It's remembering those who are are less fortunate. So again, let's put this forth in the proper way. We see that. Today, on the 13th day of Adar, the day that there was fighting, conflict, what is done? Fasting. It's Tanit Esther. The fast of Esther is observed in all communities. And then if you are in a typical place, most places throughout the world, you observe this day of Purim, this festival, this banquet, this, this festival day. On the 14th day. And you do just that. You have a feast. A banquet. You celebrate. And you send gifts to friends. And you also give gifts to the poor. This is part of the observance. If you were in Shushan. The battle was just not on the 13th. But also on the 14th. Now you just fast on one day the 13th. The 14th. You remember the victory, but it was on the 15th day that you celebrate and you have what's known as Shushan Purim, this this festival of banquet, celebration, worship, marking this day in a unique way as a special day, giving gifts to one another and, and the key is remembering the poor. Now look at verse 23. And the Jewish community, the Jewish people received and, and they began to do what was written by Mordecai unto them. Now, what is this verse all about? Well, when you read it, one word should come into your mind. And this is a word submissive. This is a big concept throughout the scripture, but especially was demonstrated in this book by Esther herself. And now Esther was key. God moved in her life. She became one who beseeched the king, and the king responded favorably. It was her submissive nature that positioned her in this location and gave her the favor to request and receive. And the message is simple. We want to have that same favor. Then demonstrate that same submissiveness. It is so strongly presented in this verse. Look again at verse twenty-three, and the Jews received what what they began to observe, which was written by Mordecai unto them, because Haman. Pay attention to this verse twenty-four. Because Haman, the son of. Hamdata, the Agagite. And who is he? Haman. It says, Sower, the enemy of all the Jews. Now, he just wasn't an enemy of, of Mordecai. He just wasn't an enemy of the Jewish people, but the spirit of Haman is going to manifest itself once more in the, the spirit of the Antichrist. It is not by accident that the term Antichrist in Hebrew is the word sorer HaMashiach, the enemy of Messiah, that same word that is used to describe Haman. So look again at verse 24. For Haman, the son of Hamdata, the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, what he thought concerning the Jewish people, to exterminate them, and how did he arrive at the time to do that? He cast a lot, which is this, this poor, this, this lot in order to, and we see two words. Now, the second word is for their extermination. Their first word is to cause a chaos, to cause an uproar. And what we see is this. We find that Haman, wanted on this day for there to be confusion, for there to be an uproot, much disturbance, much noise. In fact, the word literally that appears here is a word for causing great noise. And we see, look again at the text. I realize that it's translated differently in most English, but we read here at the end of verse 24 that they should cause an uproar And for there, the the extermination of the Jewish people. So the nations are to cause this uproar, this, this noise, this disturbance that will bring about the extermination of the Jewish people. This is what Haman's thought was. Look, if you would, to verse 25. Now, the name Esther does not appear in verse 25, but it's in the feminine. So we see here that she came, and obviously the she is Esther, but we want to be accurate. It simply says, and she came. Now, this sometimes is a way of paying honor. Now, in the scripture, sometimes we see a name is withheld to dishonor that person. And in the book of Ruth, for example, we see the term poloni alamoni which is, in modern Hebrew, someone who is anonymous. The name is not given. But sometimes, in order to do just the opposite, to pay honor, simply refer to this one in a pronoun, in another way, a demonstrative pronoun, this one. And what it's to do, its purpose is this. It's teaching us that that name is so renowned that if you just say the man or him or her, everyone knows who you're talking about. You don't need, sometimes when someone is very, very famous and everyone knows them, the person will say, this one needs no introduction. You don't need to describe him, tell about him. Everyone knows him. Well, this is what this verse is doing in regard to Esther look at verse 25 and she came before the king and and it was said with the books so she came to ensure this that it would be also said among these documents these letters that were go forth it would be said that the evil thoughts which were thought against the jewish people would return upon his head. Whose head? Haman's. So Esther went and said, it needs to be included that all of this retribution, this judgment, what brought about the vindication for the Jewish people is in actuality God moving to bring judgment upon the head of Haman. Why? Because God, just because he's the sovereign God, chose to destroy Haman? No. It was because, and this is emphasized in the text, it says that shall return his evil thoughts, which he thought against the Jewish people, that they should return upon his head. And then what was done, and I'm translating literally, many do not do it in this first word says, and they hung him and his sons upon the tree or gallows. The emphasis is they hung him. It was not simply that he was hung and his sons, but they did it. It was individuals that carried out God's judgment upon him. And this is important because it shows a change. It shows that same concept, la those who were loyal to Haman, those who bowed in his presence, those who submitted to his eating, they turned against him and they were the ones we saw a few weeks ago one of them was the one who suggested you know we all know about this this large gallow that he built to hang mordecai well let's hang him on it and it was done there were those who responded who turned to the side of mordecai and esther and that's why it says here they hung him and his sons upon The gallow, that tree. Verse 26. Therefore, they call these days Purim because of how God took the plans, the thoughts of Haman, wicked Haman, and how God turned them into the exact opposite. This is what our God is able to do. He can take the thoughts of the world, the desires of the world, and he can turn them into the desires of God to bring about his will. Verse 26, Therefore they called these days Purim, according to the name of Pour, this lot that was cast. And therefore, concerning all these Letters. Now we have the word, the same word for epistle. The ancient Hebrew word for epistle is used here for these documents that were sent. It says, therefore concerning all the things in the document, these documents and what, what they saw concerning thus and what arrived unto them, meaning they wrote down in these documents that were, were, were sent. To all the providences of the king. What Haman planned, what his thoughts were, and what in actuality happened. What was the outcome? We see the word here, kacha, in in Hebrew. Kacha means according to what it is. The reality of the situation. And therefore, all of this was written down as a testimony. And this got to all the Jewish community, verse Twenty-seven. It was established and the Jewish community received upon themselves and upon their offspring, their seed, their heritage, and also concerning all. And this is a very important term. Now, when you look, for example, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah speaks about Shabbat. And it talks about observing Shabbat, not just the Jewish people, but it has a context of a time of redemption. And there's going to be those among the nations. And the word there in Isaiah is a word for join together, to attach yourself, to become part of. And this is a huge message to us what it's saying is this because of god and hear that because of god showing his faithfulness to the jewish people and delivering them causing them to be victorious here again we look at this this book of Esther. we see that there were numerous types of people different types of people different languages different culture all brought together under the empire of ahash and we see that the jewish part of it would be a very very small percent very slim in numbers but yet when god moved he did something despite the fact that all the others were told to rise up and kill the Jewish people on the 13th day. What happened? At the last minute, a contrary edict went through and the majority of the people changed. They saw, those after the fact saw, God's power and deliverance of the Jewish people. And what does it say here? Look at verse 27. It says here, also all those who join themselves unto them this scripture word says here Koha nilvim all those who accompany but now by the way this word for join together accompanying however it's translated in your bible is the root is the same word where you get the word levite now what was a levite an assistance to the priests they would accompany they would go along they would serve with and what's being used here is that same word saying this that the nations all those among the nations who became levites to the jewish people in the same way that the levites served the priests there was going to be those of the nations to join together in the same purpose being committed to the same plan of god this is what the scripture says and it says here that it should not pass, but rather it should be done all the years. These two, two days that it should be done exactly as it's written, as it was written in their time each and every year. So these days, these two days should be observed by who? All those, not just the Jewish people, but all those who have joined together and become part of Israel by faith. Now, to me, when I hear this, I think about Romans chapter 11, about this grafted in. And based upon what we just read, this is why, not just the Jewish people, but if you want a time of celebration, of, of victory, of deliverance, that speaks about God's faithfulness to his covenant people, the festival of Purim is a wonderful time. It should not simply be observed by the Jewish community, but all those who believe in the God of Israel and believe in what God has promised in the last days, because this is a glimpse of what's going to happen. Now look at verse 28. And these days be remembered and also done throughout each generation and generation and every family and family, in every country and country, and in every city and city, what should be remembered and observed? The days of Purim. These days of Purim should not pass from the midst of the Jewish people, that, that they should be remembered, and that there should not be an end among their seed, meaning this. We need to remember them. And not let this victory ever be done away with these days. Why? Well, the answer is simple. And that is because what we learn in this book of Esther lays the foundation. It gives us a glimpse, a a, a perspective to understand what God's going to do. And he's going to do this. In the last days. In the same way that he brought shame and death upon Haman, he is going to bring shame and death upon the Antichrist. In the same way that those who sided with the edict of Haman and were destroyed, those who followed the Antichrist are going to be destroyed. So we see this promise from God concerning what He's done and what He's going to do. For his people in the last days, for the Jewish people who exercise faith and for those of the nation who join themselves who are grafted into this same covenant people of God. Well, we're going to stop with this. We're going to have one more session next week when we conclude the book of Esther and we see some wonderful revelations from this book concerning Messiah. In the same way that Haman is a typology for the Antichrist, Mordecai is a typology, gives us information, a glimpse at many of the things that Messiah is going to bring about in the last days. So this last session is also a significant one for concluding the book of Esther and giving us that right vantage point, that perspective and understanding What will come about at the end of this age? Well, I'll close with that. Until next week, shalom from Israel.
0: Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website,